Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. It is February, which can only mean one thing. It is the month of love, all right? We are going to have some fun today because here's the deal. While February is the month of love, there's one day that kind of stands out from the rest. There's one day that some people spend months in preparation for. They've thought about it. They've looked forward to it. They've been ready for it. A day filled with love and joy. And celebration. For some, it's a joy of heartbreak and disappointment. It is a day of a lot of emotion. It's one day that I know personally my wife and I look forward to celebrating. And of course, that day I'm referring to is Super Bowl Sunday. All right, right? We've looked forward to this for months. We've been excited. This is what we love to do. This is Super Bowl Sunday, and I cannot wait to be here. And uh, there's one thing that Riley referred, kind of forgot, if you will. Uh, some people cheer for the Chiefs. Some people cheer for the Niners, right? Uh, and some people cheer for you know, Taylor Swift. But there's some people, you're in it for the food, man. You are in it for the food food. That is what you look forward to. So if you're in that camp, let me kind of just encourage you with this. Uh, I'm a nerd. I love looking into statistics and everything else that goes along with this. So this stuff was just kind of fun for me on a Saturday morning, okay? I found out that in 2024, there are a projected 1.33 billion, yes, with a B, billion chicken wings that are planned to be consumed. 1.33 billion chicken wings. That's a lot of chicken wings. And I uh, plan to account for at least 30 of them this evening. I look forward to it greatly. Now, one in seven people today plan to order takeout. Now, you might be thinking, when I hear takeout, I hear like Chinese, like sweet and sour chicken fried rice with cream cheese wontons. That sounds awesome. But that doesn't sound like Super Bowl, personally. For some people, if that was your, your prompting, if, you, if that's all you took away today, you're welcome. Just send me a gift card to the nearest place you got. I, I'll take it, whatever you want. But pizza is the number one food that gets taken out on Super Bowl Sunday. Apparently, over 60% of households plan to have pizza today. So let's prove that says. Does anybody plan to have pizza at their house today? Riley is the only person raising their hand. Right? We'll be at your house, man. Thanks. Here's the one that kind of just like floored me, though. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips. You ever picked up a bag of potato chips? Are they heavy? No. They're half full of air. So 11.2 million pounds of chips? I wish we knew how much dip there would be, because that would be a whole other statistic, right? That is a lot of chips. It's why there's been a term floating around that I know I personally celebrate every single year called Super Sick Monday, uh, and that will be me tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. I love to eat during the food. Now, of course, it's all fun and games. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl today, but uh, the reason I kind of got onto this research kind of habit is because I was looking up some stats on 
Valentine's Day. Because that is the day in this month that kind of gets circled on the calendar for those that participate in it. But here's what kind of blew my mind. There's a projected $25.8 billion that plans to get spent this upcoming Wednesday. $25.8 billion. That's close to what Riley makes in a year. Close. But that is like a lot, a lot of money. That includes jewelry. That includes gifts. That includes going out to eat. The whole nine yards that goes along with it. But here's what kind of just also made sense. 57% of people who plan to participate in the holiday plan to purchase chocolate in the heart-shaped boxes and the whole nine yards. 39% plan to buy flowers. What I also find interesting is 30% of annual flower sales happen around Valentine's Day. So talk about putting all your eggs in one basket. But here's the part that just made me feel so good as a husband. They had the top five least desired Valentine's Day gifts. This will be our 10th year celebrating. I had four of the five in my tenure. As a matter of fact, I plan to purchase two of them by Wednesday, and I have since reconsidered that idea. Because here's what I have found out. The number one least desired Valentine's gift is a heart-shaped box of chocolates. Now, I wondered why, but then I remembered they taste horrible, right? They look cute, but you're just like, mmm, rubber, thanks. Like, this, this is delightful, right? Like, it's not super enjoyable. The second one, though, this is the one I was like, who have you pulled? Because they said the second least desired gift is flowers. I, I, when I was like learning how to be a good spouse, I was taught flowers are never a bad idea. I've been lied to according to the statistic because flowers I thought were good. Now here's the one that I'm not going to lie. This is the one that made me the saddest. And I'm also ashamed because I thought I was a genius for this, but It was like our second or third Valentine's Day, and I was like, I am broke. So I'm going to give my wife a Valentine's Day she will never forget. I'm going to make her a one-of-one, non-transferable love coupon book. Good for a massage, good for changing diapers twice a day, good for making you a dinner if you want. I was like, oh, I am going to win valentine's day and she thought i thought she liked it and i think she did uh but i found out love coupon book number four on the list so if you're in this room and you're looking for ideas don't do those apparently according to america uh if you are looking for those godspeed let me know how it goes valentine's day is upon us and i know not everyone in this room is going to celebrate some people are looking forward to not celebrating. Some people don't celebrate even though you are married or whatever it is. But we love to talk about love, don't we, right? Like it's not, you don't have to go far. You don't have to go, go crazy out into the public to hear the word love or to hear all these different things. And we kind of think love is a concept that is kind of cultural, cultural good grief. You know what I'm saying, okay? It's one of those words where it kind of just feels like this is what, culture thinks this is but the reality is is love is not something that has just kind of been defined by people in 2023 love is something that goes back multiple multiple generations as a matter of fact love goes all the way back to the beginning 
Genesis chapter 1, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created in the image of God. What that means is God was not just up there in his little sandbox going, hmm, this looks like a good human, let's create this. No, we were created in his image. Which means not only do we kind of just look like him, but basically what it means to be created in the image of God means that we have been created with personalities and heart postures and different things that reflect back upon who God is. It's why I love looking at when I meet people for the first time and they have kids, it's like, wow, you are definitely your mother's son, right? Because you see the resemblance. You see that same thing. It's the same way with us. We were created in the image of God, which means we were created to resemble and to reflect the attributes of who God is. So what are those attributes? What are the things that make him up? I could spend a sermon series on this from now until I retire trying to answer that question. However, There is one pattern and one theme that's interwoven through every single biblical story you could ever find, and that theme is love. Love. 1 John chapter 4, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not just something that God does. Love is not just something that he bestows upon us. Love is something that he is. He is a literal manifestation of love. Every single action, every single thought, every single correction, every single thing God does is infused and inspired by this concept that he loves us. I know for some of us it's hard to kind of rationalize. It's hard for us to kind of swallow because love is a complex emotion, isn't it? Sure, love is awesome and love is great. We're going to talk about all the joys of it. But the reality is, is that if you translate some of the hardest, most difficult emotions on this side of earth, they can be transfused back to love. Grief, loss, betrayal, rejection, it all has a root of love for another person which is why it gets so convoluted sometimes, right? Because it's a heavy, intense emotion. But it's one that, as I'm going to show you today, is meant to be positive and wholesome and pure and good. Love is special. But not everybody sees it that way because everyone has a different perspective on love. Some people, you love love. The bachelor, the bachelorette, farmer wants a wife. That's a new one. There's all these different shows kind of just talking about love, right? I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the idea of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, why are they getting so much screen time? Because they're in love. Because they are are together and people love to see that. It brings ratings up. It brings money in. People want to see good, wholesome love. We crave it. It's why there's a million and one different romantic comedies because people want to feel the warm, comfortable blanket of love don't they? Has anyone vomited yet? I haven't heard any puking, but we're getting close. But still others, love is not your jam. You're kind of like, honestly, if I could just skip February 14th, I'd be okay. If I could spend all on the ice and my phone just falls in the hole, I wouldn't be upset because love is all these different 
things. It takes on a myriad of different forms, extremes, definitions, de- definitions, individual circumstances even. Love kind of looks different in every single person. But at the core of the Christian faith is this profound, unconditional, unparalleled love. Because of what verses 9 and 10 say in 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And one more verse here. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The reason that Jesus came, the reason that he took sin upon his shoulders, the reason he took all of it and nailed it to the cross is because he loves you. Exactly as you are. You don't have to perform. You don't have to clean yourself up. He loved you so much that he was willing to take any and all junk that he had upon himself and nail it to that cross so that you could be close to him. At the core That is what he does. And I know for some people, you have a tough time being loved. Maybe you were hurt in the past from a relationship. Maybe you grew up in a way that love was hard to come by, and love is hard for you. But let me tell you this. You remember nothing else I preached today. You're loved, like more than any person ever could. The love that Jesus has for you transcends all understanding. It is infinite. It is wide. It doesn't matter how much you spit in his face, run away from him, turn his back on you. He will always love you enough to be there for you when you turn the other direction. He wants you more than anything else. He wants you to be close, which is why he did what he did. And love is something that we are called to. We're called to love. Yeah, we're conditioned to that. But you have to understand, you are also called to be loved. Don't forget that. It's one thing to love other people, and we're going to talk about that a lot here. But don't forget that it's so vital to be loved and receive that love that he gives for you because love is important. And Jesus himself said this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the most important thing? Like, I, I, I do all these different things. I, I, I follow the rules. But, like, Jesus, like, what's the most important one that I have to remember? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. If you want to know how to love God, to serve God, to go deeper in your faith, it's right here in the text. Love him with everything you got. Be there. Be honest. Do all the things you would do to love another person. Be that for God. But the second thing, love your neighbor as yourself. And when he says that your neighbor, it's not like your neighbor who's got the loud dog or doesn't mow their lawn. Like This is the neighbor that sits next to you, that you work next to that you share lunch with, whatever it is, love that person as you love yourself. But if you're still not convinced that love's important, I haven't put this on the screen because I want you to actually rationalize and feel this inside of you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, this is the chapter of love. I've pretty much shared this at every single wedding I've ever officiated. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love is full of raisin canes and gifts. All these different things. Paraphrasing, of course. Right? We're used to hearing these things. But look what it says before the whole love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, all that whole business. Look what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all of the mysteries and all of the knowledge of God, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Those are strong words from Paul. What he's basically saying is you can know all the stuff about God. You can be a doctor. You can know all the stuff. You can be a stand-up citizen. But if at the core part of you, if you're not someone who loves, you're missing the mark. You're missing who Jesus is and what he's called you to be. Because for so long, I thought that the mark of spiritual maturity is how much I knew how much I knew the scripture, how much the Bible I read, how long I prayed, how much I fasted, how much I gave to the church, whatever else. I thought that's what spiritual maturity was. But can I tell you, the mark of spiritual maturity is how well you love. Because that's what Jesus did. He was someone who loved at his very core. He loved those that were hard to love those that were cast aside, those that were mean people maybe, those that were not the greatest individuals. He loved those that are sitting in the corner while millions of people bustle past them because that person over there is begging and they need help. Jesus loved him enough to walk up to him, look him in the eyes and say, be healed. He loved them. He loved his 12 disciples known as the knuckleheads, in my opinion. They're always getting it wrong. Amen to that, right? They got it wrong. They messed up. But what we don't see in scripture is what happened between ministry. We know they spent every single waking moment together, but all we can read about is what they did. What it doesn't show is Jesus walking with the disciples, doing life with them, laughing with them, sharing memories, poking fun. Jesus loved his disciples as the brothers that they were. He was a man that loved, and he calls us to love in the same way. See, our world, our culture has this fascination of love and expression, but Scripture also has a fascination of love. We're meant to love in such a deep, deep, profound way. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at that love. Because in English, all we have for this concept of love is one word, love. So when I'm standing across from my wife and I say, I love you on our wedding day, it's the same words that come out of my mouth when I sit down at Chipotle with a big burrito and I say, I love you. You are so good, right? In the same way that when you say, I love that color on you, is a lot different than I love you. Same words, different sentiments, right? So what we're going to look about today is that's English. Fortunately for us, the Greek language which is what the New Testament was written into originally, is a much more expressive language. There's a lot more to it. So there's a bunch of words that you read in the Greek that are later translated into love. So we're going to look at them because they're all different. So C.S. Lewis came up with these four. He found these four. They're super, super awesome. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to talk about love. Here we go. The first Greek word of love in the New Testament 
is phileo. Everybody say phileo. If you struggle with that, just think of phileo fish. Same concept, same pronunciation, phileo. We find this word 25 different times in the New Testament, 33 times in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. We'll get into that later. Here's the gist of phileo. Phileo is that brotherly love. Like that, bro, like that, like my, this is my ride or die. Like if I need to go to Canada in about 10 minutes, who am I calling? And when they pick up, they'll say, where are we stopping for snacks? Right? Like this is that kind of brotherly love that's just like, this is my friend. We are rock solid. We are tight knit. I can be honest. I can be real. I can be vulnerable. I can be everything in one. This is that brotherly affection. Okay. We see this in scripture with David and Jonathan. David, King David, when he was a, a young adult like myself, uh, he needed a comrade, a buddy, and he found Saul's son, Jonathan. Him and they just hit it off. They were tight friends. They were close. And scripture says they were closer than brothers. This is a good quality type of friendship. But here's the thing with phileo. Phileo takes time. Okay, so think of that best friend of yours, that ride or die. Did that just happen overnight? Did it just kind of just sparks flew in a non-weird way and all of a sudden we're just best friends? No, right? When you meet someone for the first time, it's clunky. It's awkward. You shake hands and it's like, so how about the weather, right? Like we are, we are, small talk kicks in and it's awkward. It's mechanical. It's all these different things. It just takes time. But then you find out you have shared interests. You'd have shared likes. You like going to the gym. You like slamming Chipotle after the gym. You like watching football. You like sightseeing. You don't like bird watching. Whatever it is, you kind of rally around. This is what we have, these shared interests in minds. And then kicks in, I'm going to do something nice for you. Right? Like, oh, you're going out of town? Who's mowing your lawn? Nobody. I got you. Don't worry. I, I'll, I'm going to be in that area anyway, right? You start to kind of be there for each other. You do things. And all of a sudden now there's kind of this yo-yo back and forth of being there for each other. And there's this brotherhood or sisterhood that arises up within us. And it's so vital. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we think that love is just meant to be this romantic thing. And we'll get to that in a second. But we're meant to have this kind of brotherly, sisterly Love. It's important. We see it in scripture through Jonathan. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're meant to be in connection with other people and to have solid, tight-knit friendship. There's a reason Our church is set up the way that it is with small groups and connect groups because we're not meant to do life alone. There's a reason we're trying to expand our lobby because we want people to connect with other people so new friendships can be restored and new friendships can be built and all these different things because it is so, so important. Do you know anxiety, feelings of loneliness, and other many other mental health things have skyrocketed ever since COVID-19? Why? Because we were isolated. We were by ourselves. We weren't created to be by ourselves. There's a time and a place, yes, for sure. But at our core, we're meant to be in community and connection. Here's also interesting. With the rise of technology, the rise of those things has also went up. 
I'm not going to even pretend to understand why. Because everything's unique and, and, and every circumstance is, is unique. And I'm not going to just paint blanket statements. But here's what I have found personally. I'm more connected than ever before. Facebook, Instagram, social media, people's numbers. There's all these different ways to connect. But here's what's crazy. Even though I'm connected to way more people, I'm closer with a lot less. Why? Because even though we're connected, we're not authentic. We can filter what we put on there. We can filter what we don't. We can filter all these different things. We have less and less time and less and less people that we can be truly authentic with. And it shows. It's lonely. It's hard. But we at our core are meant to have this kind of phileo love that is deep and brotherly and friendship-minded. That's the first one. The second one is this. This is a fun one to say. Storge. Everyone say that one. Storge. Think of like the Jesse from uh, Full House whenever I hear this, that Italian kind of thing. Any Full House watchers out there? Nobody. Sweet. Fantastic. My childhood is ruined. Storge. While it's not specifically written in the Bible, we see a storgist, which is heartless in Romans 1 chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 18. Storge is the familial kind of love. Family. Family is awesome, isn't it? Never messy. Always easy. Never any drama. At least my family. No, it's not. Right? Family gets a little crazy sometimes. Family's like, can you believe what they said? Can you believe you said that? Isn't it delightful, right? Like it, it, it's crazy sometimes, but here's the deal. Family is crazy and family is complex sometimes, but at the core, love is meant to be a part of family. There's a reason that the moment a female conceives, she feels love for her child because it's innate. Whereas phileo was developed over time, storage is innate. You're born with it. You're born with that compassion for your child. You're born with that compassion for your sibling, even though you don't like them growing up, right? There's this innate love that when push comes to shove, I got your back, right? And yes, it gets complex. Yes, hurts happen. Yes, people do things that are really dumb, and there's hurt, and there's all these different things that go on it. But at the core, we are meant to have a storage kind of love with our family members. Where do we see this in Scripture? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're siblings. You might be familiar with the name Lazarus. He's the one who died. But they run to Jesus and say, hey, we need you, Jesus. To, 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 if you would have been here, he would still be here. And there's this very, very deep familial kind of love amongst people. The love you have for your kids. The love you have for your siblings, for your parents. This is where we get this, the concept of honor your mother and father. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You see it all throughout Scripture. Honor your mother and father. Why? Because when you honor your mother and father, it's a way you can honor the Lord. Because he downloaded this love inside of you. And by reciprocating that love, you are actually honoring him. And I know that's difficult. I know there are people in this room that you're like, that's all good and dandy, but you don't realize, Derek, what they did to me. And I don't understand. I don't need to understand. However, here's what I do say. Forgiveness will bring you a blessing that you can't possibly imagine. When you forgive somebody with storge, 
I'm not saying it's going to be all smooth. You guys are going to skip off into the sunset and everything's going to be all smooth. But I will say there will be a freedom, a joy, and a freedom that you can't possibly imagine when you choose to forgive, especially when they don't deserve it. Why? Because he forgave us when we didn't deserve it. And when we choose to forgive, we emulate him. So storage can look like a dozen different things, but it can look like forgiving that person in your family that you need to forgive. It can look like raising your kids through the good, bad, and the difficult of doing that. It can look like supporting your brother and sister, even though they don't do what you, or you don't agree with what they're doing. Storage is a familial kind of love that's important. If you're not going to do it for them, do it for him. That's something we're meant to do. We're called to do through the pages of Scripture. That's number two. Number three is a fun one. You guys are going to like number three. Number three, here we go. Eros. E-R-O-S. This is the romantic, passionate kind of love. This is what every single retailer is feeding off of every single year. It's, this, is the, this is the kind of love that is passionate and is fueled by this unbelievable kind of love. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? My wife is not here today, so I'm going to give you what I plan to say to her on Wednesday, some pickup lines, if you will, from the pages of Scripture. This is in Ch- Song of Solomon chapter 4. You're welcome to use any of these if you want. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Pretty good, huh? Here we go. This is where it gets fun. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. I'm telling you, if, you are, if your spouse is not in here, save this. Song of Solomon chapter 4. This is my favorite. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. I am so in this year, guys. Forget the, the love coupon book. This, this is the moneymaker right here, right? Like, yes, okay, when you look at this, you're like, oh my goodness, like this is, this is lame. But if you read the Songs of Solomon, the whole book is about this husband and wife that are infatuated with each other. Every single nook and cranny of their expressions, of their body, of who they are, they are enamored with each other. And for arrows, while physical touch and and, and romantic intimacy, all these things play into it, it doesn't define it, but it is a huge part of it. And I'm going to be here to tell you that this kind of a love does not have to be mutually exclusive from God. A lot of times it feels that way, right? Like, it feels weird to be romantic with my spouse, but God and and the whole thing. But I'm here to tell you, this is something that God bestows upon us. As a matter of fact, Scripture talks about how sex is a binding of souls together. So if you're looking to honor a spouse today, I know not everyone in in this room is, is here today, but let me tell you this. One way you can honor the Lord is by loving your spouse well. Date them, okay? I know I've been married for less than some people, but I also know have been, I'm past the honeymoon stage now where I understand the importance of taking intentionality and effort to date your spouse. Not just physical, but emotional and all the things that go into it. But here's what's really interesting to me. This arrow's kind of love. Yeah, it's obviously obvious between a husband and a wife and whatever else that looks like. However, 
What's interesting to me is Song of Solomon, while it's about a husband and a wife that are crazy about each other, it's not even about them. Their relationship is meant to symbolize how much God loves us. Because you can picture this, right? Newlyweds. They don't leave each other's sides. I got to go to the bathroom. Come with me. Right? They, they want to be with each other all the time. Their attention, their devotions, looking at nowhere else, they are one-on-one with that person. And that's how God wants to be with us. That you prioritize this love over everything else. That's what Eros is meant to be. Both physically and metaphorically, it's deep. But here's the last one I want to end with. A one that maybe you've heard about before. The last one is called agape. Agape. I want to read this quote to you from one of the commentaries I read. Agape love is the love of choice. The love of serving with humility. The highest kind of love. The noblest kind of devotion. The love of the will. It's not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. Agape love is the love of will. I'm going to love you even though there's not a pull for me to do so. This is the kind of love that when you wake up at 3 a.m. and your newborn is screaming and you choose to get up so your spouse can rest. This is the kind of love that says, I know we're not feeling it right now, but I'm going to choose to love you well. This is the kind of love that drives two culvers in a blizzard because that's the only thing your pregnant wife will eat. Agape love is self-denial on behalf of somebody else. And here's what's very, very fascinating. All these words are Greek. You see them in Greek literature. You see them in old Greek books. But agape is known, even back then, as the love of the Christian faith. Agape love is what defines Christianity, and it stands out above the rest. Why? Because Jesus didn't want to die. You can see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's crying, saying, I don't want to do this, God. This is hard. This is challenging, but not my will, but yours be done. He chose to love you and me thousands of years ago enough to go to the cross and die so that we can be close with him. That's why he did it. That's why he loves us. And it's what he empowers us to, to hold on to as we go through life. I'm going to read this last part to you, First John chapter 4. We've been reading it all this morning today, but let me finish it here. And so we know and rely on the love of God that he has for us. God is love. There we go. He said it again. The second time he said it. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that they will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because the fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here we go. This is the last part. You got to hold on to this. Here we go. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love 
God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Not a recommendation, not a suggestion, not a, this ought to be good. He gives us a command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He's not talking about your biological brother and sister. He's talking about the fact that as you are born of God, you are a son and daughter of God, which means the person sitting next to you, blood-related or not, is your brother and sister in him. You're called to love them. That might mean phileo kind of love as friendship. That might mean storge, the familial kind of love, love in your family, even when it's difficult. That might be eros and dating your spouse or being romantic and taking care of them. It also might mean agape. And if I could encourage you and challenge you, I believe agape filters into the rest. Agape, serving kind of love is what makes you a good friend. Agape is what allows you to take care of your spouse even when it's not easy. Agape is what allows you to do really tough things with your family. But at the end of the day, love is meant to be something powerful. Because when you love somebody, whether that's romantic, whether that's blood, whether that is friend, what happens when you are in love with somebody is it releases dopamine on a neurological level along with oxytocin, which makes you feel comfortable, secure, and calm. But on a spiritual level, Scripture says that love has the ability to fuse us together. So what I'm here to challenge you with today, church, is to love and to love well. You know what that might look like. Even as I've been speaking, you probably know that there's, there's something or relationship that I need to really focus on right now to love. And I challenge you to do it. Because when you do it, you'll experience Jesus in a profound way. But before I pray you out of here, I believe there's one thing I got to just make clear. You can't love, I'm sorry, you can't give what you don't have. For some people, you struggle to love others well because you've never been loved well. You don't love yourself. You hate yourself. You will struggle to love somebody else when that is the emotion you feel. So today I'm going to pray. When I pray, I'm going to pray for that that you'd experience the love of Jesus and you'd feel and understand that you are loved and you're cared for. But I'm also going to pray that when you walk out of these doors, you step out in love. And this week as you go out, you intentionally choose love for one person. And as I pray for you, I'm going to pray that there's someone that comes to mind for you to do that. If you could do me a huge favor, it'd be awesome. Would you please close your eyes, bow your heads. No one's going to be looking around. I'm not going to be looking around. This is just, this is a moment between you and God himself. So Jesus, today I pray. I pray for those in this room that need to be reminded that you love them. You see them. You know them. They're not defined by their mistakes. They're not defined by their past. They're not defined by their circumstances. They are defined by 
you. And you say that they are enough. They are worthy. They are important. Their life has purpose. I pray, God, that somebody that's listening to my voice right now would be flooded with that truth that comes from your word, that they are loved by you. And you would wrap them in your arms and make them feel that love on a whole new deep level. But it's up to them to receive that today. So with all eyes closed, all heads bows, if that's you, if you want to receive that love, and you know that's me, Derek, I need to be reminded of God's love. I need to make this right with God. If that's you, would you just do me a favor and slip your hand up as a way of saying, yes, God, that's me. Yes, God, that's me. Yes, God, I want to be loved by you, Jesus. Lord, we want to be loved by you. We want to feel your love. But we love because you first loved us, Jesus. So today I pray for every person in the room. Would you highlight people? Highlight circumstances. Give us the motivation, the discipline, the agape-style love that allows us to walk out of this door and love well and love with intention. Jesus, I'm believing that love is going to restore some things this week, this month, this year. I pray that your love would be transfused and infused inside every part of our being, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.